Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with your Dana Azban, my friend, and Chavruta. Our daf today, Brachot Samach Bet, 62. We're almost done with Masecha Brachot, everybody. It's been a it's remarkable to me. You know, it's past, it's kind of been a long time and flown by at the same time. Um, if you haven't already signed up or planning to come to our, our virtual seum on Sunday, March 8th, uh, that will be at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time and 5 p.m. Israel Time. Please do so. We're looking forward to a great gathering and lots of good Divrei Torah and conversation. Okay, now, we're, we've mentioned that this last parak of Masacha Brachot seems to harken back to a number of different themes and topics that have appeared throughout the tractate, and today's daf is no exception. Tanya, I'm a Rabbi Akiva. Pam achat nichnasti acharid nechva The Gemara here talks about, we're, we're going back into the bathroom, so to speak, I mean, quite literally, actually, where Rabbi Akiva says, one time I, I followed Rabbi Yoshua ben Le- I followed Rabbi Yoshua into the bathroom. And I learned three things from him. This is literally the, the direction of wiping, what's going to be considered more appropriate from a halachic standpoint. Again, you know, bodily comportment in the bathroom. Um, and Again, quite descriptively, your wiping practices. So, you know, we can note, and, and we'll talk about this further, the degree to which the halacha is specific in terms of every single literal nook and cranny of your existence, of our existence, is dictated by halacha, and this attests to that. But the question is, like, why is Rabbi Akiva following Rabbi Yeshua into the bathroom? Meaning, let's give him some privacy. Amarlo ben Azai. But as I said, you dare to follow your Rebbe into the bathroom, says Ben Azai. And Rebbe Akiva says, This is Torah, and I need to learn it. And the implication is the same way I need to learn all those other halachot about kashrut and Shabbat and Tfilah, whatever it is, this is just as much a halachic matter, and I'm going to learn it from, by example. So, the kicker is that the next bit of the Gemara turns this story on Rabbi Akiva. Tanya, Ben Azai Omer, Pamachat Nichnastiacha Rabbi Akiva. So Ben Azai, who's just asked his question, says, One time I followed Rabbi Akiva Levetakise into the bathroom. And I learned three things. And then it goes through the three things that he learned, which are essentially the same things, which I find to be an interesting manner of conveying tradition, right? Amrlo Rabbi Huda. And now we have a third player in this conversation, in this generational conversation, or, or it's not generational, it's Rebbe Talmud, Rebbe Talmud. Rebbe Huda says, Ad kan panacha the exact same question that Ben Azai had asked, you dare to do this with your Rebbe? Amar lo, Torah tarikh. He says, it's Torah and I need to learn it. When I, one point I find interesting here is, he doesn't say, you know, Rebbe Akiva did the same thing, so he's okay with it, right? That's not the point. The point is, there's a defense of, there's a certain amount of practice of halacha that we learn by observation, even in, uh, you know, even in the un- less pleasant, less glorious, uh, potentially otherwise private areas of halacha, let's say. Now, the next bit is a little bit even more tricky because the privacy goes beyond the one Rebbe and his student, or perhaps is understandable. Rav Kahana al Ganatute Purya Rav. 
So Rav Kahana entered, al in Aramaic means to go in. It does not mean to go up, it means to go in. Um, he lay under the bed of Rav. Rav is his Rebbe. He's listening to what amounts to the marital bread, the marital bed. Rav Kahana is, I'm sorry, Rav Kahana lies there and he hears Rav. What is he doing? He's chatting and he's laughing with his wife. And and it's a moment of privacy between a husband and wife. That's literally what it means. Sometimes doing your needs means literally going to the bathroom. In this context, um, it is not that. It is the sexual act in the marital bed, which is appropriate. But what happens? Rav Kahana says to Rav. Now, again, like, if you're spying on your Rebbe, maybe don't talk at that time. But okay, right? I mean, this is what he says. Amrle, the the Abba, Shila. Rav Kahana says to Rav, the mouth of Abba, meaning Rav, is like one who has never eaten a cooked dish. Meaning, it seems to Rav Kahana that Rav was behaving in a lustful manner, that he was very eager. Rav says to him, and here's you know where it gets a little dicey as far as Rav Kahana's conduct is concerned. Amrle, Kahana, right? He doesn't call him Rav Kahana, he calls him Kahana. Hachat, you're here? Pook. Go out, leave, right? Meaning, exit from here. You do not belong here. The love arach ara. This is not how we conduct ourselves. Literally, it's uh, not derech eretz. It's not, it's not civil. It's not manners. Uh, the point being, this is an, undesir- an undesirable thing that you have done. It is out of line. Amar Leh and Rav Kahana gives the same answer. Torah This is Torah, meaning the relationship between husband and wife is also a matter of Torah, and I need to learn it. Now, that point I think we can all agree to, right? That there is a, a dynamic between a husband and wife that the Torah will also govern and also speak to, and in ways that are much more complex than one might think the Gemara would um, uh, assess. I want to just mention here Tali Rosenbaum, who is who has a podcast called Intimate Judaism with Rabbi Scott Khan, and they discuss exactly this. What does Judaism has, have to say about, well, not only the marital bed, all manners sexual, in a way that is very much in the context of Torah and Halacha. So the idea that there is something here to learn, yes, yes, there is. And there are ways to learn it. Learn it from a conversation with your Rebbe. Learn it from, there's all kinds of things that Rav, that Rav here might have said, Kahana, this is the way to do it. What you have done by spying on my marital bread, which you know is presumably an embarrassment to both not only not only Rav but also his wife, he says that is beyond the pale. Now the Gemara never censures Rav Kahana beyond what Rav himself does, right? And I think the point of that is to say, yes, this is Torah. Yes, this is something you must learn. But Rav's um, indictment of him, namely, get out of here. This is not our way is very strong and there's never an argument made against that either. So we have this, you know, it's a very, um, very personal topic, very complicated topic in terms of just all kinds of sexual mores are always going to be loaded and important to, to each each participant and, and anybody rising the ranks of adulthood trying to learn what they're supposed to do as they go as they grow and yet there's still considered a modicum of privacy that is to be expected between any couple and and the way we learn this you know it's something to learn and no this is not the way to learn it
look, I think these are t- the types of Gemaras where some people may ridicule the Gemara. Like, this is such an outrageous story. A, a Talmud going to a bathroom with his Rebbe or a Talmud hiding under, you know, as you said, the bed <laughs> to watch a sexual act of his Rebbe. And that certainly is a view that one could take. But I think part of what we're trying to do here is to say, okay, what is this story really telling us? You know, do we actually believe the story happened or is there a moral lesson here in this story? And that's exactly what the moral lesson is, which is all areas of life are actually governed by halacha. And there are things that need to be instructed in all areas of life. How we get that information, I think how it was done, right, that would be an extreme or cross a boundary uh, and the Gemara acknowledges that that is probably not the best way to learn this information. But I think from a point of view of what are things that we need to teach our students, our children, the Gemara here is really saying very strongly, these are even things that seem to be, you know, part of the body, like bathroom habits, sexual matters. These are all things that actually need to be taught. They have halacha around them. And we should, a student should want to learn about them and a Rebbe should want to teach them. Um, And I guess I'll say as like an aside, you know, when I often talk to um, parents in my office about sexual health and teaching children about sexuality, that really it's an opportunity for them to impart knowledge on their kids and they shouldn't be scared of it, right? They should feel empowered as parents and not only empowered, it's actually their responsibility as parents to share these types of things. And I think this Gemara actually shows that. So, you know, instead of using it as a Gemara where you're just like, this is so outlandish, you know, I think if we just take a little bit of a deeper dive, uh, we can see a little bit more about what the moral lesson that the Gemara is trying to teach us here. Yes, and there's one other caveat I just wanna, uh, or observation I wanna make. Um, I can't speak to this in any modern sense, but when I was in, I don't know, elementary school, junior high school, there were locker rooms for the sports teams in my school that I went to at the time. And the girls' locker rooms, the showers, all had stalls, right? It was an individual stall. You went into your own little private shower. The boys' locker room was a mass shower, right? And so I know that there are many women listening to the podcast, some men as well. And I think that this distinction of privacy between the sexes in this kind of what do you do in the bathroom, how private are you in the bathroom, I, I can't, again, I don't know what it was like in the ancient world, but in our modern world, there is a real distinction in terms of what is considered normal, you know, what is considered appropriate, what is considered too private, what is considered not enough private. And, it, you know, I, I think that it's fair to say, you know, you can picture it like on any major league sports event, you know, the, the men in the, in the locker room and the women just don't have that same camaraderie thing. Now, this is considered perhaps crossing a line because of the hierarchy between Rebbe and Talmud. But, but the phenomenon of men entering a bathhouse together or men entering a, a Beta Kise together is perhaps quite different. And again, I can't be sure, but speculating, I think it might be quite different than the, than the equivalent uh, facility encounter of women. Even though women are known to go to the bathroom together, it's still not the same thing. They're not literally together in the same way. Right. Well, the whole bathroom that we see on the page, I mean, it's very clear people went to the bathroom very differently right? You sort of went to the outskirts of a town or a city. It would not be, and I think a lot of the, the whole concept of being rahok, like distancing yourself from other people is that I think you actually ran into other people and there was no barrier there, right? You weren't going into a stall. 
So you literally could be in an outside area and you could run into somebody else who's going to the bathroom. So that's a very different sense than when we go to a public bathroom where there are stalls or sort of a separation within that room, as opposed to, you know, going into a field and you can just see another person actually going to the, you know, actually going to the bathroom. What I also was struck by on this page is, though, that we don't, you know, the word that came to mind to, for me, at least, when we were going through these things was the word of sneu, right? Like of, of modesty, that a person should be modest, you know, obviously how they go to the bathroom, uh, what happens in someone's bedroom, I think is the ultimate, ultimate place of modesty. And yet we had a Talmud who wanted to be in the room with his, with his Rebbe and his wife. And yet we don't see that word sanua, right, of modesty, uh, appear at all there, but it appears later on on our page in a completely different context, right? So th- this is the story the Gemara shares. So there was like a professional eulogizer who was giving a eulogy in front of Rav Nachman, Amar, and he said, And he says of this person who passed away, this man was very modest in his ways. Amr le Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman says back to the eulogizer, So Rav Nachman basically says to him, did you go to the bathroom with him? And do you know if he actually was a modest person? And then the Gemara goes on to say, Tanya, and it quotes the A person cannot be described as modest unless he's somebody who's modest when they go to the bathroom and nobody else is there. The Rav Nachman, my nafkale mine. So, what difference did this make to Rav Nachman? The Gemara is basically asking, like, why did Rav Nachman start up with his eulogizer to say this to them? Mishudin Zitanya, because as the Brisa says, Kishem Shani Fraim Min Hametim, Kachni Fraim Min Hasafdanin, Umin Haunin Achareha. Right? Just as the deceased can be punished, so too people who eulogize them are after answer them, meaning that the deceased are going to be punished for whatever sins they may have done in this, in this world. But people who eulogize for them, okay, will also be punished if they sort of give uh, or attribute uh, particular types of uh, midot or, you know, say that this dead, the person who passed away did X, Y, and Z thing. And it actually wasn't true that they did X, Y, and Z thing. So that's why Rav Nachman wanted to be very careful with the eulogizer. However, Let's just go back to the actual story itself. You know, where really what Rav Nachman is saying is the time that a person actually expresses their most modesty are in those moments that they are actually alone. And I think this speaks to really a concept also of Yirat Hashem, right? That it's not so much what you do in front of other people. Like in a way, it may be easier to be modest when you're in front of people. But at your most private moment of going to the bathroom, which I think everybody would agree is a very, very (laughs) private moment, right? Do we still sort of conduct ourselves in a way that's actually very modest, Um, you know? And I'm not going to rattle through particulars of what that could mean. Um, And I think that means different things for different people. But but I think it's an interesting idea, meaning like this is not, there's nothing textbook here. Right. Meaning presumably there's a a textbook way to be modest. And then there's an expectation that maybe not everybody is being modest in that way. Right. If you're not if nobody's talking about what's happening in the bathroom, then nobody knows what anybody else is doing, modest or or immodest. 
So, so that's what the tension is, right? That's what the first set of stories are saying is that on the one hand, these are things that we do need to teach, right? And I think that's specifically, therefore, then why the word sniyut is not used there because teaching it is not a matter of modesty. Not teaching something is not because it's too modest to talk about. In fact, I think I would make the argument of the opposite, that not teaching particular topics, right? Going to the bathroom, sexual health, if you're going to blame modesty for why you're not teaching it, that's actually not a healthy way to be. Right. Whereas here, we're talking about this is what real modesty is. What real modesty is, is your conduct. It's not that certain topics are taboo. And so I think it's really interesting that the word sniut does not pop up on in those actual stories where you would be like, oh, that wasn't th that lacked modesty. How could he watch his Rebbe go to the bathroom? How could he watch his Rebbe, you know? have uh, have sex with his wife. Like that's a crazy thing to do, right? But it's really talking about, it's, it's niyut, is, modesty is a description of conduct. That's what it is. It's not topics that are taboo. And, and I, I think, think that's that, why we're me, talking That's something I came out here. Yeah. I think that that's why, you know, Yardena, when we decided that this is what we were going to talk about today, right? I think we both feel strongly that this is not a violation of niyut to raise the topics, to talk about them in a serious manner. They're in the Gemara. The Gemara didn't shy away from talking about these topics. The right Rebbe Akiva, who is the first one to follow right after his Rebbe, he then is aware, I, I assume he was aware, certainly it happens, right? He gives the response to Ben Azai, who then follows him. This is in the context, we hope that this podcast episode itself is in the context of discussing these manners that are important that come out of the Gemara in a, in a Tanua way because, because the content is important and our conduct, as you say, is really none of anybody else's business. Right? Exactly. That's, that's the privacy. Right. That's the privacy. The, content, the conduct is what's important in terms of Tzniyut, but not that particular topics or discussions are off limits because of Tzniyut. And I think that's a really important lesson for us to all think about. And I want um, to faith in their ways. Sorry. I'm sorry, there are ways and there are ways, right? Rav Kahana is rebuked. He he did not do well here. Right. He did not do well, exactly. Um, I'm gonna jump ahead to something else that's more of a theological issue for me on Amud Bet, which is this whole discussion about the punishment of David Hamelah. Um, so I'm not gonna read through the entire Gemara here, but there's a whole discussion, and it actually comes out of a discussion with his conduct with Shaul and how Shaul was actually very, went to the bathroom in a very modest way by going into, you know, into a cave of a cave and covered his feet. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's how Shaul was careful to go to the bathroom. Um, and then it talks about this whole thing that David Hamelech, you know, cut part of the meal, um, right, part of Shaul's cloak. And I think when we're usually taught this story in Shmuel Aleph, we're usually taught of it as something very positive about David HaMelech that he did. And here, actually, the Gemara is not, uh, doesn't treat it nicely, right? What the Gemara basically says here that because he wasn't careful with Shaul's clothing, like he didn't treat it, you know, nicely, he cut it, he tore it, you know, he basically tore it. So it says that, you know, ultimately he would be punished through clothing. And the example that they give is that when David HaMelech gets old, right, it says that they tried covering him, right? The Pasuk says, that they tried covering him with clothing and he could not get warm. So first of all, I was struck by this on the page because I think it's a very different read 
than what we are actually brought up with, right? That that story is always supposed to show how respectful David HaMelech was to Shaul. And the Gemara, Rabbi Yossi, right, has a totally different read of this story. And that actually was something that David HaMelech gets punished for. But then the Gemara goes on to continue, and it talks about what David actually said to Shaul, right? And he says there in that episode, Im Hashem bi mincha, right? If Hashem has incited you against me, right, he should accept this offering. And here, Rabbi Elazar comes and basically says that Hashem is angry at David HaMelech for saying that, how dare you call me Hashem an inciter? And therefore, David HaMelech will basically be punished by doing something that even school children knew not to do. And what was that? That we don't count Jews, right? That there's that, right? We know that halacha, that law, that we're not supposed to like, if there's a group of people together, you know, we don't go one, two, three, we don't count them. And so David HaMelech finds himself later on in Shmuel Bet in a situation where he actually counted people. And after David HaMelech counted people, there was a plague and many people died. I'm bothered by this Gemara <laughs> because it seems to me that the people who died are sort of like ancillary to the story. Like this was what, this was David HaMelech's screw up, <laughs> not those people screw up. And on a theological level, I'm really bothered by that somehow the people that he counted, they are being punished for something that he did. And maybe this isn't, I don't know, it's overly simplistic how I'm reading this Gemara, but there was something about this as I read it on the page that really bothered me. I don't have an answer or an insight. I'm just telling oh. everyone it bothers me. <laughs> I think it's troubling. I, I do think it's troubling. And I think that there's an answer somewhere, which will be, meaning some commentary said, I, I don't know, I haven't looked it up, but right, yeah. that will say... Um, you know, well, each one of these people, for whatever reason, they deserved it, right? Because for the most part, Chazal very much wants that to line up, that the bad things happen to the bad people, right? We talked about this exactly. all the way back on Daf Vav, right? Hey, Vav. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's troubling. I think you're right. I think that, and I want to again say that I think that when we're not in the time period of the Gemara and we do not have Psukim and we do not have prophets, then I think we need to remain troubled by the proximity of of things that seem to be causative and not be too quick to assign causation, even if our holy texts have done so in those generations, we don't do it now. That's our DAP for the day. Thank you for joining us. You can always leave a comment on our Facebook page and continue the conversation there. You can find us on WhatsApp, Most Major Podcasts. We thank Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. We look forward to you joining us um, on our first virtual CM. God willing, on March 8th, if you would like to share something, please uh, shoot us a message over Facebook. And until tomorrow's staff, go and learn. <laughs>